trails of troubles, rows of battles, paths of victory, we shall walk. Well, good evening and welcome to She Walks, WEHC 90.7. And Carly Blaylock and myself, we're here today, and we have a distinguished and honored guest with us that will be introduced here in a moment. And we're going to continue our discussion about women and leadership. Um, we've been talking about all kinds of things. We've talked about sexual harassment. We've talked about disparities in academia. Carly, what else have we talked about? All kinds of things that we've been trying to bring to the forefront for our listening audience. We've talked um, pretty in depth about consent and enthusiastic consent, what consent is, what it isn't, which I think is an incredibly important conversation to have. But yeah, we've we are currently in our leadership series, women in leadership, talking about um, you know kind of deconstructing this very patriarchal view of what leadership is. Yes, and so we've been going about that by going close to home and we have such esteemed people that are part of Emory and Henry's college campus. And so today we have someone with us and Carly, I'm going to give you the honor of introducing our esteemed colleague. Yes. So with us today, we have Dr. Schwan Wang Wolf. She is our director of online education at Emory and Henry college. She has received degrees from Harvard business school and her doctorate recently from Arizona State University. So we're very, very excited to have her with us and we're gonna hand it over to her to um, tell us a little bit about herself. Thank you, Sherry and Carly for the invitation. I'm very um, honored and blessed to be part of your She Walks radio show. So where should I get started? <laughs> um, my name is Xuan Wang Wolf, like Shirley, um, uh, like um, Carly introduced, I. Uh, joined Hammond and Harry College um, a couple of years ago, but I'm, uh, I was international student. I grew up, I, I was born and raised um, in China, um, and I went to uh, Arizona State University to pursue my doctoral studies. And, um, you know, being an international student, I think as an Asian woman, <laughs> of course, <laughs> you know, we grew up in a different culture. There are um, definitely a lot of conflicting concepts and what the society considers to be normal for, um, you know, women to pursue, to accomplish, not to mention to lead. Um, I think there's an old saying in China, uh, like literally translated in English is, um, in Chinese it's uh, <laughs> that's in Chinese Mandarin, but in English it's translated as a gun will shoot the bird who stretched their head first. Similarly, I think there's a similar saying in English, right? The nail, uh, what is it? The, the stands out that get, get hammered first or something like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, growing up, you, you always get just, you know, being lectured and, and taught by your elders, your teachers and professors to be, courteous to be humble to 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 think not once but three times before you take actions <laughs> now there's a you know old um confusion teaching there i think three times before you you leave or you take actions um so there is always this kind of a thought of being careful being cautious uh and you know also being respectful you know towards others i think there's both sort of, um, you know, pros and cons depends on where you are in a Western society, such as United States. 
because I was educated at Arizona State and my undergrad and grads, I took English literature and cultural studies and the differences between different kind of classrooms are really kind of form your characteristics, but also how you behave. And in the Western society, a lot of those characteristics traits, you know, in Western society, I feel like, especially where in the U.S., people will praise someone being outspoken and stand out and express themselves freely and, you know, speak up, right, their ideas and thoughts. That's definitely something I think a lot of international students, especially from the Asian culture, will have to sort of um, adapt to and adjust to. In that case, that could be a little bit of a barrier or, or hurdle that we have to jump over to better fit into the society when the society is you know, valuing sort of a series of different characteristic or personality traits. But you know, with a good mentorship <laughs> throughout the years, especially women mentors that I had, have had, um, you know, their support, their um, guidance really helped me grow. And also the different kinds of opportunities I was uh, introduced and offered. And also, obviously, I worked hard towards it as well. <laughs> For example, you know, the fellowship I got, um, the project-based um, learning designer role, the fellowship, I, I um, managed to land that I get to con- get connected with, you know, other different fellows from all institutions across the nation. And not to mention it was hosted, um, you know, several years ago in Hawaii, University of Hawaii in Manoa. <laughs> so there's <a> two <laughs> weeks, uh, you know, kind of like a study, but also, you know, also in a very, very nice uh, environment, uh, you know, near the beach and everything. I guess that's the best way to learn, right? And to, to grow <laughs> yeah. where you feel most comfortable. And also, um, you know, learn from other women leaders as well. Swan, one thing, I I read an article that said that they were talking about some of the challenges that international, you mentioned you were in international students, that some of the challenges that international students experience, and they said things like language barriers, just the general academics, social and cultural differences, discrimination, financial stressors, and even some mental health concerns. Mm -hmm. Would you think that that's valid? Some of the ones that they said? Yeah, absolutely. I think language is the first, very first hurdle they have to jump over, right? That's why a lot of the institutions offer um, English as a second language. It's like in English, like intensive program for English and proficiency as a starting point when the incoming students first admitted to the school. I think that's those are great tools and great ways for them to sort of get acquainted with you know, American culture, right? And uh, not to mention um, with that kind of immersive environment that they can really sharpen their linguistic skills. Because, you know, when they're living in a foreign country like U.S. or other English-speaking countries, language is the basic tool that they have to use, utilize and depend on to survive, mm-hmm. to go grocery shopping, you know, to library, not to mention to, you know, pursue their academic studies in a classroom. So yeah, definitely language barrier that they have to overcome first and not, and then, you know, with the different cultures, like students grew up in Africa or in Mediterranean regions or in the Latin America experience, um, there's definitely the common sense there, what's right and wrong, but certain cultures had different, you know, characteristic traits, and um, there's a definitely a transitional period they have to adapt to uh, the American culture, right, the Western culture. 
that might also cause some mental stress, anxiety that was kind of hidden under the surface if they don't actively express themselves or, you know, being mentored on, they might not realize. And that could also hinder their progress in their academic studies as well. And I imagine, and I don't know, but I imagine there's a form of isolation, you know, from your family of origin and being just kind of like dropped in to this, this place. Because I mean, I'm, I'm not international, but I can remember moving from the South to the North and feeling some isolation. Or I, I one time was able to, I lived in Australia for a couple of years and boy, was that totally different for me. Cause I felt like where were the people I knew, where my family I missed mm-hmm. and to even contact them back. It was $2 a minute at the time. That was way before the new, you know, phones, instant phones right. and all that. Cause I, I've still got some friends in, in Australia now, and we talk all the time through Facebook, Right. you right. know, we, we did, but, but during those years in the eighties, you couldn't do that. So I really felt isolated away from my family. And I just longed for those $2 a minute calls where mm-hmm. the delay was in the conversation. And then I picked up and started speaking with an accent like the other Aussies. And then my family couldn't understand me. So it was a big, <laughs> <laughs> it was a big culture issue going on there, you know? So I imagine that that happens too for other international students. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And people will, I mean, even people who are native English speakers have different accents, right? Uh, Throughout the different regions in America, you know, in Australia, New Zealand, Europe, right? Uh, But those, but you know, those are English native speakers, not to mention, you know, we learn English as a second foreign language and have to learn that. um, I learned it when I was a teenager. Movie kids nowadays had a luxury to learn it at a much younger age and require much higher proficiency. So I totally concur with you that two minute, what is it, $2 a minute, long distance phone calls, right, with family members, with friends are so precious. And then just feels like that kind of a support. And then you, the community for you were there, even virtually um, via phone. It means a lot, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I get still communicate with my my. <laughs> My side of the family in China is virtual, right? Uh, through text messages, um, you know, um, like like us, the video video chats. So that's that really you know helps um, you know the students to sort of have a affiliated, I guess, mindset to so that they don't have to be constantly distracted by you know the exterior um, elements that they can focus on their studies. Well, Carly, I'm hogging, so I know you have some things you want to ask Dr. Swan, but I'm going to take a break and let you ask something now. (laughs) That sounds great. Um, So I would just be interested to hear a little bit about what drew you to online education and technology, um, you know, kind of starting out and then maybe some leaders that inspired you within that field. Yeah, Um, thank you for asking that. (laughs) That I can talk for a long time. (laughs) So um, I, I'm always very passionate about pedagogy and, uh, you know, been teaching in a classroom uh, face-to-face, you know, in a hybrid way and virtually throughout the years. And also, you know, my background, you know, studying um, in the classroom as a student all these years um, in, in, you know, in Asia. Uh, I noticed there's a distinctive, um, I guess, preference in terms of teaching, um, you know, and uh, different approaches. So when um, 
I noticed there, there's so many different ways to teach and how best, what are the best practices to teach? Um, you know, I, I learned that, um, you know, I want to, you know, help others, you know, in terms of pedagogy, because a lot of the, the cases, um, you know, faculty could be top-notch researchers in their own field, either astrophysics or, you know, humanities or, um, you know, other fields, STEM fields, but not certain, they might not necessarily focus too much on the teaching methods or pedagogy or best practices in teaching. Um, that's when I see there's a gap there. And not to mention, as we use learning management systems, you know, different kinds of educational technology tools now, you know, throughout the years as the educational technology are advancing, I really just find my passion in the tech, instructional design and pedagogy and how we can combine all those different elements to better support our teaching for faculty development as well and also for, you know, academic support for our students, right? And I, I guess that's how I was sort of led into, you know, the digital learning field as well. From years of being an instructional designer and technologist, um, I um, sort of um, see uh, there's a growth definitely in you know, virtual and digital learning and how it can also help bridge the uh, sort of shorten the gap and you know in terms of providing education and quality education for all so I think it's also probably part of my passion for the DEI work the diversity equity inclusion and justice work that I since the very beginning um, I because I, um, <laughs> education obviously is not available for everybody throughout mm -hmm. the world right and I read read stories and had friend who had to um, basically uh, walk miles and then even cross the hills and rivers try to get to their elementary school to get the basic education in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I realized that there's definitely a short, uh, what is it called, the, the gap in terms of the access to for quality education there. And I think virtual, you know, digital learning really can help bring education to all providing that access, right? And then, you know, also, um, you know, how we can also provide quality education um, to all as well. Um, so yeah, that's how <laughs> I, I am so involved currently in, uh, you know, digital learning world and the online education. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. I, no, I wanted to jump in because she mentioned DEI and I wanted to ask about, I know you've got a question about STEM, but I wanted to ask a question that's kind of related there, the racialization of Asian Americans and STEM. You know, how does that and the model minority and all of that, since you're, you know, you're part of DEI and we, we're so glad to have you as part of our DEI team. Uh, well, we used to be the DEI team. I guess in our minds, Carly, we're still a DEI team. <laughs> But we're, we're all in this together as, as a yeah, college, yeah. but, yeah, but yeah. Uh, we, we, we were honored and blessed to have you in so many different ways to help us uh, to get the DI training out, to do all those things. So your presence really made a difference. But I was just wondering about, not to take away from Carly's STEM question, but about that whole model minority kind of piece and Asian Americans and the connection to STEM. You know, how, what do you think about that, Swan? Well, um, that's a great question <laughs> because, um, you know, originally a lot of um, our international students from China and, and India, 
specifically are admitted due to their STEM backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Because um, you know, um, we need experts and we need to train uh, you know, those students to become experts in those fields, right? And then, um, so basically to, to, to some extent it's kind of how the policy directs the, <laughs> the enrollment and admission in the first place. Those students are admitted due to their STEM background and, and now there's a huge, um, a large number of, you know, Asian, um, a lot of East Asian or South Asian working in the STEM field and had a STEM background because that's how um, that was pref- pref- preferred, preferably to being admitted in the first place. And there's a large quota of students admitted into programs, different programs uh, into, um, you know, because of their STEM backgrounds. But not to mention there are a lot of students who, like me, have humanities, right, or social sciences background, but there's definitely a short um, quota there for admittance in the first place. And to some extent, it's really how, um, I don't want to say the garment, but how the society and, you know, frames that small minority concept, right, just because uh, we, um, you know, we have a large number, you know, especially in the Asian community, have a large number of people in the STEM field. Um, it's kind of like, also, it's our, I don't want to say advantage, because it's kind of like the cliche or stereotypical view of being an Asian means being you're in the STEM field, and you must be doing really well, because you must be an engineer, or, or a doctor, or, or a scientist, right, or data analyst. It's really sad because a lot of the international students, when we find um, when we find jobs, and then the for, for starters they can't find jobs. We're in, they're in school. They have to be employed only at school with that F one visa, right? And then um, after they graduated, the even with top notch school, you know, or even similar credentials compared to for example, permanent residents or citizens who don't have to worry about their work visa issue. They can only find jobs, firms, um, companies who can support, who can sponsor the work visa in the first place. And, um, you know, the work visa is not work visa for life. You don't have to worry about, you know, a renewal or, you know, your, your, your identity anymore. The, um, the work visa is only like last a couple of years, right? And then they have to renew. And if the company is not sponsoring them for, um, you know, permanent residency, basically they don't have uh, any other, you know, options than going back to where they come from or have to find another employer who would like to sponsor their work visa, which starts the clock one more time again. And because their whole survival relies on the work visa, a lot of the cases they could possibly be passed on for promotion or raise opportunities, or even if they, even though they tolerate, they, they had to tolerate like discrimination or bias in the workplace, you know, or human resources might not even pay attention to their complaints, or they might not even complain in the first place because they're just grateful to have that work visa. So mm-hmm. that they can live here and work here and support their family in the first place, you know, a lot of the a lot of the of the issues and questions are just shrugged off and and buried there somewhere. And I'm 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 glad I have the chance to <laughs> express this. That's you know I don't have to worry about that because I'm a citizen. But I'm sure a lot of you know our fellow 
colleagues and who had to go through that uh, in the first place. Um, it, it's not, not to mention the cost for application, renewal and all that, just the mental stress, the frustration and thinking that and you know they had to be deported someday because there's no sponsorship. It's just heartbreaking. So the model minority on the surface is like, oh, they're doing so good. They make so much money. They're living so such a good life, not realizing all that is just a mirage on the sea. The, the dream can be shattered, shattered without just a simple you know, visa that they someday they can just or be easily deported somewhere else, you know. Um, where their kids might not even speak the language because they grew up here mm -hmm. speaking English, you know, it's just a lot of um, sad stories that could happen to everybody who don't have that solid identity. I think that's an incredible um, perspective that you bring because that's something that even, you know, as open and, you know, meticulous minded as I like to think that I am, you know, <laughs> I don't think about that stuff. And, you know, as a leader, I imagine that your experience with that and your understanding of that helps you to be an even more conscientious and better leader because you are aware that there's a lot of this stuff going on behind the scenes that you know other people may not be aware is happening. Exactly. I think that's what really distinguish in terms of different leadership styles. Like I think a lot of um, the women leaders I encountered, I, I you know, had made acquaintance with and you know, you two as women leaders as well. I feel like a lot of the cases is that support community, right? Really be there for each other, care for each other. And instead of like you at the very beginning said the in the patriarchal society, what the real leaders, the real leaders, quote unquote, are supposed to behave, right? Without emotions, only, you know, delegations, metrics, um, work, 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 <laughs> and clock in, clock out, <laughs> those kind of stringent <laughs> routines. I think we could be more humane in that way. And I, that's, uh, I think that will make women leaders more, um, you know, appealing and really considering the different reports generated by Morgan Stanley and other, you know, Deloitte, you know, agencies, you know, women leaders in the leadership realm or in the C-suite is just like less than one digit percentage. And women of color in the leadership is like less than one or even like a percentage of that. So I think, yeah, it's good to have mentors like women mentors and women leaders um, you know, like us to support each other, support, you know, others. And because um, if we're good, we have this community that's also progressing. And that's how we also support each other um, better to always think from other people's shoes and from a bigger picture. Yeah. Yeah. One of the articles that we read in our last show um, was talking about the things that women tend to do as leaders. And one was obviously compassion, empathy, and that that actually allows women leaders to be more creative when coming up with solutions to problems, because we can really like see kind of all angles of a situation. And mm -hmm. we tend to see the people that we're leading as more than just like you said, a person that clocks in and then clocks out and does their job, right? They're a person who has all this other stuff going on and that they can contribute in ways that may not be apparent right off the top of the surface. 
Right. That, that's a very good point, Carly, you mentioned there. And also it's good for the retention and development of the employees. Because mm-hmm. if they know that they are valued and appreciated, they want to stay there and work for, you know, their group leader and for the company's good, right? Instead of someone who always impacts or criticizes of what they can, how they can do better, how much more productive they can become. Yeah, really. Um, it's also, you know, not to, not to mention self-care, but also care for, you know, um, the employees in general, like you said, the empathy, compassion really plays an important role as well. Yeah, absolutely. So we have a few minutes minutes left, um, about three minutes. And um, so before we end today, I would just like to hear from some women that inspire you. Um, You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be women within your field, but just maybe women that are inspiring to you. And um, so that we can, you know, look up those women too and be inspired by them. Um, (laughs) Oh, you mean, you mean like uh, celebrities or just in general? Anybody, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Um, there are just so many, Um, actually, I think um, I don't want to, you know, put labels on, you know, anybody or anybody's work. I really feel like it's good to have, um, um, you know, someone to look up to and your different passionate field. For example, um, I love poetry and I think, um, um, you know, the author uh, Sharon invited last year, uh, Giovanni, oh, yeah. right? If yeah, I Giovanni, yeah. Giovanni. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I absolutely love her work. I think it's very inspiring and encouraging and empowering um, um, through the words, through her poem and her work. And I, I feel like sometimes just enjoying, um, you know, one's work and you can, you can tell and feel the power that's embedded in those texts and those rhythms of the words. So that's, you know, one of them. <laughs> and uh, in my personal life, uh, I think my uh, my mother is my role model. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then she supported me throughout the years and support my dream in, you know, pers- support me to pursue my American dream <laughs> in the first place, <laughs> even yeah. though she had to, uh, you know, um, bear the fact that we haven't seen each other face to face for for several years now because of the pandemic and um yeah and then she's she's definitely my rock and (laughs) in my life professionally and and personally and I want to say um one of my mentors when I was in Arizona State University uh she absolutely uh was there for me and just like you said she has all the trees of you know how a what a good mentor should be, you know, supporting her students and really listening to their needs, listening to what they want to do um, and they, to see what their passions are and then be there and see if there's any opportunities that they introduce to them. Uh, and that's uh, one of my professors. All right. I kind of don't want to name names. Sure. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think really throughout our lives and I'm inspired by you too as well you know (laughs) you know um I feel like I learned a lot from you know from you as well and um especially you know our she walks um show I'm sure um you know our audience will learn so much from it and because 
and you, you know, Sharon and Carly, you took the initiative of offering this chance, offering this platform for everybody to share that's beneficial to our audiences. That's really, um, um, you know, making a difference. And I'm grateful. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for those kind words. I think it's, this show has been such a great learning experience for me too, to learn from our guests that come on and, and to learn from Sharon. And I think it's just like, I learn something every week and it's great. Well, I feel the same. I learned from Carly. Carly, I say, Carly, take this, tell us this, teach us this. She's always coming with great statistics and all those kinds of things. I'm like, oh gosh, I didn't read that. Let me hurry up and read that. So yeah, I think it's just a good collaboration. It's just a good place for women to be. And Swan, I wanted to kind of let you know that part of what we're going to be doing is establishing a mentorship program for our students with some of our female leaders at the academy. And I would love for you to work with Carly and I to put that program together and to see what that looks like. Because it sounds like you've really been influenced by mentorship, by leadership in academia. And that's what we want to want to see happen for our students here also. Awesome. That's such a great initiative. And do count me in. <laughs> I'm more than happy to contribute and to be part of it. Thank you for the invitation. All right. Carly, you want to end us? Sure. Yeah. Thank you all so much for, um, for listening. And we um, have some really amazing guests lined up for the next few weeks. So please make sure that you tune back in to, um, to hear us and to uh, hear from our wonderful guests. So thank you all. And we will see you next week. Pass over victory. We shall walk.